in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last count, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Welcome to the Polian Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. This week, it's a very special episode because it's the month of June, which is recently every year is Pride Month. And to have this conversation, we're going to be talking about politics and pride, which are very intrinsically linked uh, with the activism of the LGBTQ plus community. So to help us with this discussion and to talk about it further, we have the fabulous Manus Gallagher joining joining us today. What a fantastic introduction, Neve. Love it. I mean, deserved. 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 (laughs) No, it is. I like it's so because like pride is obviously so many things. It's a celebration of the breadth of the queer community and how much it has come um, in the years, how much is yet to go. But it's so rooted in politics and activism and how important that was for pride to start off with and has to continue to be because we've still like so far to go as Ireland in Europe and like the world so it's so it's so important to talk about these things even though pride is also great crack oh for sure completely. <laughs> the best nights out in Dublin are during pride they really really are it's so it's so sad again that like another year of like that kind of celebration for pride with COVID yeah. has been like not taken away but it just isn't the exact same buzz which I think makes it even more not important but I guess it's a time to kind of reflect more on the not serious side of pride but maybe serious side of pride for sure because like like there's a side of commemoration to pride that often gets overlooked like it it is also a remembrance for times gone by hardships etc so you're, mm. you're right there like it's maybe take stock of the fact that we can mm. actually sit on this celebrate and, yeah and i think especially exactly. times for pride are in lieu when you see anyone on twitter saw the horrific pictures of um the famous drag queen panty bar outside her panty bliss excuse me but it was outside her bar which is called panty bar there was horrific homophobic slurs written outside her bar that's during the month of pride it kind of shows like why you need pride and why people to be Mm -hmm. be reminded that we need to celebrate this community uplift this communities and for you know cisgender straight women like amy and i to be allies to to that community as well so i suppose we can we'll just get straight into it and kind of like talk about like where pride kind of came about and it originated which was back like not that long ago like only in the 1970s and kind of like a first came around after the police raids in Stone in Stonewall Inn in New York City um this is kind of where pride stemmed from and where the celebration eventually came but it was it didn't start out as a celebration as such no, it started off as riots in this the Stonewall Inn in New York. The riots happened just on the cusp of the month of like June and July, which is why Pride is celebrated in June. And back in the day, there was basically homosexual acts were illegal in every state in America except Illinois. So go on, Illinois. And even like bars could be and restaurants could be shut down for having employees that were gay or that serving patrons that were gay. And then also specifically drag was also made illegal. Really interesting law. If anybody had more than three items of clothing that weren't for their like assigned gender, it was considered illegal, which is like just, I mean, isn't it? Like, and imagine like that being policed going around and being like, oh, he's wearing a skirt, but it's a jumper. That's fine. Oh, high heels, not drag. It's only two items, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, one, no. two, you go ahead. <laughs> Honestly. You're fine. <laughs> 
but it was like literally them policing like that and like a lot of LGBT uh, QIA plus buyers at the time were actually financed by the mafia because regular financers wouldn't touch them but the police also used that a lot of the time as an excuse to kind of like overly police or overly persecute buyers like that so that they had like a heightened police presence in them which is obviously like homophobic and awful and it's just horrific but the raids happened the tuesday before the the riots excuse me happened the police conducted a raid on the stonewall inn and it arrested some of its employees and it had confiscated stashes of like illegal liquor um and basically they planned a second raid for the following friday and it was at this raid that the Stonewall riots, as we know it and was known in history, happened. And the patrons were there. They knew that the raid was coming based on what happened on Tuesday. And they were just sick of this constant persecution from the police because of, you know, their, their gender expression and their sexual orientation. So they rioted. And it's very kind of no one really knows exactly who you know started it or anything like that there's some accounts that there's a famous lesbian activist storm delaverne could be butchering that name a lot of accounts say that she was like handcuffed um, and handled very roughly by the police and that that's what started the riots and like stonewall is very synonymous with the gay movement like specifically kind of cisgendered gay man but it was actually like lesbian activists two trans women of color marcia p johnson Sylvia riviera they were like so prominent in it as well as like so many other like queer people of all different spectrums were like all there and basically like asserting their place in the world that we are allowed to be here and we're allowed to exist without yous coming for us Mm -hmm. and it kind of definitely like spurred on a moment like obviously you know members of the lgbtq plus community had been fighting for their rights or just even exist for decades and centuries but i suppose this kind of brought it to a on its head in the sense that the community were like this is enough and it kind of gave gave way to more radical groups that came out of it so the gay liberation front and the gay activist alliance and then on the first anniversary, this is when Pride was organised by uh, the Christopher Street Liberation, in, you know, and this is kind of where it all began. And then we saw Pride then not only just celebration in the United States, but it also came over to other countries all around the world. And it was a lot later in Ireland, I suppose most, a lot of social movements and stuff does come later to Ireland, but I suppose... That has to do with yes. we were, <laughs> you know, we were heavily in, influenced and controlled by an incredibly conservative Catholic led government. And even previous to that, even under British rule, they were still incredibly strict anti LGBTQ plus laws that were in place. Sexuality in Ireland was governed by the, you know, obviously the UK government and, you know, the offences against the against the person act. The offences against the person act is it's a really like large uh, legislation covers like a wide breadth of things such as homicide, assault is in there, but also this thing called buggery, which was like defined way back in the 1500s. The buggery act is basically it was an unnatural sexual act against the will of a god and man. And then it was further defined in the Offences Against the Person Act as to include basically anal penetration and bestiality. But it was the anal penetration that was focused on that basically any acts of anal penetration were illegal. So then obviously, you know, people who are not having heteronormative sex, that would be illegal. Yeah, that is what it was. And it was around for like a very, very, very long time in both the UK and Ireland. Really horrific. I was going to say that's where the word bugger comes from. Like it's actually a gay slur that many people don't realise. 
Oh, gosh. yeah. But even if you look at like the fact that Amy said it went on even so long in the UK, like I think one of the most well notable kind of gay men who was persecuted because he was a gay man was Alan Turing, the mathematician who literally saved you know, the the Western world or the Allies broke yeah. the Enigma code, and he is a hero and he was completely persecuted and sent to prison just because of who he is and now I know they've late, you know they've later changed that around and he's due to go on a pound note or something like that very soon you know which is deserved because if it wasn't for him who knows what have happened so it's not even the fact that he was like persecuted it was also like you know the correction mechanisms that were in place for members of the LGBT community like chemical castration in the hopes that they could make him straight make him heterosexual was just astounding like it's horrendous and that like those which were like medical procedures considered at the time were upheld by the politicians and the politics that surrounded them by yeah. you know all the government institutes like health you think is the most basic thing that people deserve to have rights to that they should be protected against it but it was being weaponized to basically persecute the LGBT community at the time horrific horrific like on the back foot you can see like coming for pride to come over to Ireland. I suppose nowhere was very LGBTQ plus friendly at the time, but Ireland, I suppose, because we were enshrined with the Catholic beliefs and the Catholic culture more more so. I think it wasn't one of the most notable figures in Irish politics anyway, who kind of began the movement anyway in the late 20th century was independent senator David Norris, who was a strident member in Fighting for Equality. One of the first actions he took was the campaign for the homosexual law reform, which aimed to decriminalise homosexuality in the Republic and the North mm-hmm. and the North of Ireland. And I, I love that he took an all-island approach in Ireland as well at the time, which in itself was quite, like, never mind that he was attempting to tackle this ingrained persecution of the LGBT community. He was also, like, doing it from an all-island approach with the Republic and North of Ireland, which is, like, really interesting. And he was doing it in the time of the first Pride Parade really happened in Ireland, which was, it's been marked every year in some way since 1979. But the first real Pride Parade took place in 1983 and it was in protest of the brutal killing of Declan Flynn, who was murdered in Fairview Park in Dublin. And it was a homophobic uh, motivated attack that resulted in his death. At the time of the horrific killing of Declan Flynn, the five men, their sentences were suspended. So they got nothing for And like, you know, Declan Flynn's father was obviously heartbroken that his son's murderers got off scot-free and you know there was rumours that there was you know cheering and celebration when you know the five men who who murdered Declan Flynn that there was kind of a celebration and like David Norris was terrified that this was going to be interpreted as a licence to kill because you can commit such a horrific crime and get away with it and have no repercussions and it kind of did cause a lot of social outrage as well like you know there was a lot of people who weren't standing for obviously a lot of you know the Union Students of Ireland Socialist Workers Movement there was even members of the Drum Contra branch of Sinn Féin and stuff the Dublin Race Crisis Centre so there were a lot of organisations who I suppose were quite outraged that nothing had been done about Declan Flynn's death and you know, they had written to the Minister for Justice at the time. And I suppose, obviously, as you said, Amy, this then spurred on for mm. Pride to take place after the five year hiatus I had in Ireland anyway. And I don't know about you guys, but I never learned about this until I went seeking this information. No, like, like it's one of those things that it's publicly available, but it really should be like taught from early on. You're never going to like thwart the, um, the stigma or the prejudice if you're not teaching people early on this kind of stuff. Like, I bet mm. you there's going to be so many people that haven't heard about Declan Flynn or what happened to him. 
Mm-hmm. which is very sad and it's even it's sad to think of the, the cases that weren't reported like Declan Flynn like that's one case that is yeah. tragically known and there could be unfortunately hundreds more that mm-hmm. went undocumented because they ju- it just wasn't reported back then and of course then we don't have the knowledge to be aware of it now in this day and age then and it lends more to how like queer history is just not for some reason embedded with the rest of the historical landscape in most countries including Mm. Ireland only time I ever learned about this is when I elected to do a module Mm. on gender politics and it it was only touched on then which is just I think further others the experience of LGBTQIA plus people their history for some reason isn't tied in I don't know Manus would you agree with this maybe it's my my reading of it is wrong but like I don't know. No, no, de- definitely. Like, there's definitely not enough. I'm just thinking back to, like, when I was in secondary school, like, I don't think a teacher ever, like, talked to us about, like, gay history or even, like, anything homosexual related. Like, it's it's just, it, it wasn't covered. And as you said, like, you have to go looking for it or you have to go and, which sort of leads to the whole, like, you know, oh, it's, it's wrong, it's secretive, keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate because we could be a country, like, the world, we could be a country that could learn from our mistakes and as a whole. We could we could be really progressive about it, but it's like as long as we're pretending it didn't happen, that's not going to happen. I completely agree, and I think so mm-hmm. much of it is like entrenched in the seventies. They're like what you're talking about to go right back to David Norris in yep. the nineteen seventies. It was still a criminal a criminal act to have basically anal sex. That was any what they would perceive as like homosexual behavior okay you don't have to be homosexual or queer to have anal sex but that's neither here nor there norris's campaign of homosexual reform he like went to the high court defeated went to the supreme court defeated so david norris says we're going to the european court of human rights he's like we're bringing what a it man. What, what a man, a man. <laughs> david norris said we're going full up and he brought a case against the Irish state well done. over the constitutional status of the criminalization of certain homosexual acts and he won which is amazing and was so Phenomenal. monumental and not only was it great for Ireland but it set a case law precedence for the rest of Europe because it was enshrined in not only Irish law but European law because it was found that Ireland by criminalising homosexual activity that they had actually infringed on Article 8 of the European Convention which basically guarantees the right to privacy uh, in personal affairs which basically means we can't police your sex life you live your life, live your truth which I mean only the only thing to do (laughs) I mean absolutely fair yeah. And, but that's that's 1988 and then five years like it's even like this is so recent and then in 1993 it's eventually just decriminalized entirely yeah which is it took, still it took five years for the ruling in europe to actually be implemented in ireland to actually be decriminalized so if you you could technically be arrested and have be punished in those five years even that's though you, even though it? david norris won his case that's just bizarre mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. so recent like millennials are 1993. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's how recent it is. Yeah, no, like it, it, when you look at the years here, like it is actually recent history, which is which is horrific to say. Like people talk Ital- about Italia 90 
so like, often and this happened three years after Italia 90 and this is far more okay and if I offend soccer fans relax now but this is far more mon- monumental than Ireland getting to the quarter or semi-finals of the World Cup you know like um, Italia 90 has talked about so much why Why is that so true? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really true it's a very good point it is that's my only comparison when I think of like the early 90s in Ireland I think of Italia 90 and the decriminalisation of, yeah. of and you know and it's just and it's not talked about more I think what Mana said the fact that the education is just lacking in a primary and a secondary level for LGBTQ plus students but even there was um, Riyad Khalaf I'm probably butchering his name but he's a BBC broadcaster one celebrity master chef he was talking about like you know LGBTQ plus education being brought in and someone was like what do you say to heterosexuals students or their parents what they say he's like well I had to sit through heterosexual sex sex health and I learned nothing but he said if I have a friend and she's missed her period or there's something wrong with her I can chat to her or he's like if I have a son or if I have a male friend and they have issues they can you know it's just everyone's more informed about everyone it's not exclude it's everyone's included you learn about everything then if a friend can come to me then it'll be like oh well I learned this in school I have the knowledge to help if you choose to come to me to talk to you about it it's just giving people the knowledge that people shouldn't be forced to go and seek it out elsewhere. They should just be given it through an education system. Facts. All facts. <laughs> All true. Also find it like really interesting of how much of legal history focuses around the experience of um, cisgender uh, gay men and not very inclusive of the queer community as a whole. Interesting fact, a lot of legislation revolves around it. But decriminalised, and that's obviously fantastic, but there was still so little provisions for queer couples and for them to have the same like legal provisions as um hetero normative couples and it wasn't it wasn't until like the civil partnership act in like 2010 2010 people the harry potter films were nearly over they were nearly done that's where we are (laughs) (laughs) we've gone from italian to the harry potter consequential cultural moments yeah, it, it was wasn't until that that provisions were actually brought through that broadly now the operative word here is broadly gave the same rights um and obligations to queer couples that um, married couples had, but it didn't change the law on relating to children or guardianship or adoption or custody access or maintenance. So it basically gave all the really fun stuff for marriage like tax breaks all that stuff which is obviously very important and is there for a reason but it it still was excluding the family aspect of it and I know we'll probably get into it more with uh, Leo Radker when we I'm sure he'll come up in conversation as the first openly gay Taoiseach but he had a very hot take in the doll on how he in the debate on it he talked about how he personally believed that a child should have a mother and father and that basically queer couples shouldn't adopt so there we go I mean I don't know why he would do it what what are your thoughts on it Manus when like we heard like Leo said those comments and then subsequently on Radio 1 you know, coming out then on national radio, like kind of the juxtaposition of those two, very crucial. That's absolutely it. You know, like I, I did a little bit of like homework on the timelines just to figure this out. So I could be wrong, but this was in 2010 when he said this, you know, that, you know, the people are a child deserves a mother and a father. 
like astounding, completely wrong take. <laughs> We're all aware of that. But then mm-hmm. five years later, he comes out on the on the front of the marriage equality referendum, just casually, like you know, I'm actually a gay man. It doesn't like you know change who I am. That you know, a really casual coming out and like respect to him. But it does always come back to well, then why did he say that in 2010? You know, mm-hmm. and like. I've, the amount of times I've had people say to me, they're like, oh, well, isn't it great that, like, you know, the leader or former leader of your country is a gay man? Like, that makes you so progressive. <laughs> it really doesn't when you keep, when you look backwards and you look at, like, what he's, what he has sold or what he's continually selling, it, there's no progression there. Like, we, we, we could, we could be very progressive. One would have thought we could have been very progressive with a gay man leading our country. And it just, where was the progression <laughs> representation does not always equal progression yes that's it that's an argument i saw come up a lot during the u.s presidential election because obviously you had now secretary for transport Pete Buttigieg. he is an openly gay man you know when he was mayor of south bend obviously when people heard like openly gay he'd bring his husband to photo ops very low you know great to see the representation but a lot of i saw a lot of news articles circulating across u.s media and like members of lgbtq plus community weren't enamored by him because similar to leo radker during his position of power he had done nothing to to help that community you know or just his policies didn't exactly support or do anything for that it's kind of when you see from a woman's point of view when i see someone i'm like they will address issues that a woman can understand that a man won't mm-hmm. if that makes if that so you yeah. kind of would hope that if you see a gay man or a gay woman or a transgender um man or woman elected that they would also promote obviously in line with other policies healthcare, so economics and whatever but that they also would do stuff for, to uplift that community and neither of those men seem to have done that during their time in political office sad but true like and like you would love to know why but that's that's them it's 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 weird yeah it's it's kind of like obviously it's not the same thing but it's in the vein of um rainbow capitalism of kind of how everybody in uh, Out of the corporate world slaps their rainbow on the logo during pride month and actually don't do a lot to support lgbtqia plus charities during this time uh, it's the same way that like literally like you were saying there manis leave rocker obviously came out with some sentiment that was very damaging to the queer community during the civil partnership act and then 2015 a citizen assembly is what it's now it's it's what it's known as now it was formerly known as the constitutional convention they were like we're having it we're having the same sex marriage referendum and Leo's like, and I'm a gay man. And yeah. amazing for him. Like, I'm so glad that he was able to come out then Minister for Health. And he felt like that was, you know, a safe space that he was able to do that. And that's fantastic. And I'm, I obviously can't speak for the queer community, but I'm sure it was, you know, amazing to hear that. And there wasn't a massive political backlash. Mm-hmm. But it is like you were saying, like he hasn't done great for, hasn't really helped the progression of queer community during his time in office but um the the gay marriage referendum obviously is a huge uh, moment in queer history for ireland the referendum was held in may 2015 i don't know where you guys were i was at a musical theater rehearsal when it was announced very exciting <laughs> i was studying um, for exams yeah i was in fifth i was in fifth year of secondary school so i was in class probably very boring in class I, I couldn't vote then. I was 
fuming. I was furious. Oh, no. I I was obviously studying in Maynooth and I'm from Donegal, so I had to get a postal vote set up and then I had to go to the barracks to get it like stamped, but there's no the, the barracks in Maynooth isn't like man twenty four seven, so then we had to get to leak slip and uh, the That's vote fair. was cast, but <laughs> After you're like, it was a process, but we did it. And it had such a high voter turnout, which is like, okay, I feel like so many people actually did stuff like that. They were like, I am going to cast my vote in this, yeah. which resulted in like 62% of uh, voters in Ireland backing the amendment. And there was only one county, not to name and shame, but Roscommon, that uh, voted against it. And it was yeah, like such a long time coming as well. Again, a bit of history on how it all happened. But the fight for specifically same-sex marriage was started by Dr. Linda Foy, who was a transgender woman that sought her right to marry a biological man. And she actually went to the European Court of Human Rights and she was denied denied the first time that she went and it was basically the judge, the judge concluded that the right to marry was not absolute and that a, a, a government was within its right to basically dictate over who and who could not marry so listen she came back dr foy came back in 2005 to the high court based on a european court of human rights case which is very famous of goodwin versus the united kingdom which is another uh, landmark case that uh, another transgender woman brought that basically same thing of david norris it was article 8 um, of the european convention that basically enshrined the right to privacy that people were had a right to marry who they wanted to because that was their private life and they weren't infringing on any rights or affecting anybody by doing that which isn't that just the truth and she also was relying on a new proceeding that came in that it would basically gave the European uh, Convention on Human Rights a kind of greater influence in Irish law that they kind of had to stick to it a bit more but in 2007 she actually won her appeal in her case which was amazing by the same judge that originally rejected it interesting isn't that interesting that's a subtle tidbit right there (laughs) <laughs> it's not a fun fact yeah <laughs> like going back to what we were saying about queer history like there's so much like we see these big things like the marriage referendum that was amazing first country in the world to do it by a majority public vote stunning but there are so many queer people that fought for years like it's so yeah. traumatic to go to the european court of human rights that's why nobody does it like it's just so difficult to do it there's so many like and dr linda Foy was a trans woman but there's so many you know bi people gender non-binary people that again i feel like aren't captured in history because those labels weren't really readily given at that time there's so many people like that behind each huge historic moment like the marriage referendum is somebody that's been battling for years and years to get like their rights i mean absolute like respect for her for doing that but isn't it such a shame that she had to go through all that for the act of marriage like it's insane crazy marriage equality was such even like watching it was unreal in the years only a few episodes it was just such a heartwarming thing it was so wholesome i just loved people seeing like happy and in love you know david norris was there colin mcgorman he was you know head of amnesty international in ireland like it was just such a joyous but like there's still a lot of stuff that isn't as mm-hmm. say progressive for as such as marriage equality if you, you know especially with regards to gender recognition and especially 
you know, laws that are in place that, you know, heavily impact the trans community and even the healthcare that's in place in Ireland is for trans people is almost non-existent. Like a lot of trans people have to go outside of Ireland in terms of looking for the gender re- reassignment. There's not, there's, I think there's not that, I don't think there's even one surgeon possibly, but there's not, it's it's incredibly underfunded. And even with regards to trying to bring that into law, like I suppose the Gender Recognition Act, it was set up in May of 2010, you know, to advise on legislation to recognize transgender people as their preferred gender and then like just over a year later in July of 2011 the group had published just its recommendations and the proposed gender recognition legislation and it was eventually passed on you know the 15th of July in 2015 so about four years later and essentially it meant that a person can apply for a gender recognition uh, certificate to the Department of Social Protection in order to have their preferred gender recognized by the state. And then again, four years later, in November 2019, then a Minister for Social Protection, Regina Doherty, had published a report reviewing the that 2015 gender recognition law, which also includes recommendations to make it available to 16 and 17 year olds. But the report is still ongoing. Like it's still, mm-hmm. there still doesn't seem to be enough protections or anything like that for the transgender community anyway, in, in Ireland specifically. And it's still unfortunately it's still not up to to where it should be for a lot of a lot of people in Ireland who are you know who need who are who deserve the healthcare and the recognition of who they are it's just not unfortunately readily available in through legislation or in healthcare services in Ireland as of yet very true like it's horrible to think that like these people need to like travel abroad or yeah travel abroad to be their authentic authentic self effectively like they have to go away somewhere else to become who they want to be it's just Mm -hmm. it's horrendous but there have been we've kind of seen like there have been a few when like when you look at politicians or people of political prominence there has been quite a few I suppose like when me and Amy were like thinking you know talking about doing this as a topic I suppose like for me one that's bring to mind I don't know like if it'd be well known was Harvey Milk in California in San Francisco there was the only reason why it's just enshrined in my head was because Sean Penn played him in the movie Milk back in 2009 or, or, or 2010 but very early on and you know he's nominated for an Oscar and I was like and it, it was a great it was a very good movie at the time like and I was like who is Harvey Milk and essentially you know he was an American politician who was like the first openly gay elected politician in the history of California and he was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors the, and the Board of Supervisors is essentially like a city council but like he was voted in like during the like the late 70s which was you know, like it, it was like obviously it's a different story now. Like in mo in most countries, well, especially in Western countries, openly LGBTQ plus people can run, and you would hope that it's not going to be an issue. But back then, of course, it was incredibly. I don't know what the right, but it's just it it unfortunately people weren't as open then, and it it did eventually lead. You know, he was assassinated. Uh, unfortunately, in nineteen seventy eight, and kind of. It was horrific that he did, but, you know, people hailed him as a martyr because, like, the late 70s, this prominent, openly gay man came to the political fore and, you know, quite, like, he's very handsome, very charismatic, kind of like JFK vibes and that, like, you know, handsome, charismatic politician. And he actually won, like, the Freedom of Honor, you know, the Medal of Freedom of Honor, you know, remember Obama gave it to Biden and Ellen. He won that, like, obviously, unfortunately, years later, when he, but they gave him to him, like, subsequently after he had died. Posthumously. Yeah, exactly. So he was kind of like, for me, when I thought of it, I suppose, like, internationally, and there's maybe not a lot uh, talked about him. But I suppose maybe for an Irish context, he's there's not a huge relevance in terms mm. of, like, for Irish for Irish politics and, 
but he was definitely one of the first people I thought of, even though, you know, he's an interesting character to look into, and especially because California is notoriously a more liberal state. But who would your guys be if you have to think of a politician who, like, oh, who came to prominence who's an LGBTQ plus politician when you think of? We obviously, we discussed Leo Varadkar and he's not your typical liberal. Like, he's very much centre-right. Um, he has he's a openly gay man with conservative values which is a very interesting juxtaposition exactly shall we say that yes yes for the people (laughs) that he's leading yeah (laughs) which is again it goes back to that representation doesn't always mean like progression and stuff and again obviously if someone is of the queer community it's not their whole identity that is not who they are exclusively but it's just interesting to see somebody who is openly a part of the LGBT community that doesn't promote and uphold every member of that community. But yeah, I don't know, Madis, who would you think of? So one that I keep thinking of, of more so now is Catherine Sapone, like what she went through. And it's probably for the wrong reasons that I remember, like the fights that she had to go through to have like her Canadian marriage recognised here was mm-hmm. was horrendous. To ultimately lose that, they're like, oh, oh Candace says you're married. Cool. That, that's fine. <laughs> not here no <laughs> like astounding and then you know when she ultimately then like the proposal on live tv during the marriage referendum here was stunning like so nice. truly truly stunning uh, one yeah. moment just we were speaking of that on, in the last general election Roger Gorman who's obviously the minister for children and equality when he won it was just lovely he was there with his partner and when Roger quoted, it was his first time, you know, like newly elected TD and he yeah. get, and then just him and his husband, they had a, like a lovely kiss as like many politicians do with their partners. And it was just so yeah. lovely to see how far, you know, like that was done now. And like, people were obviously like cheering and there was just, it was just lovely to see just something so normal, but very heartwarming. Because of course, like when something big like that, you want your partner then. And it was lovely to see that now, I have to say. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that as well. So nice. And I'm not a big sappy romantic, as the guys here will know, but that did get me that Catherine's wrong moment. It got you in the eyes, didn't it, Amy? It got me. It got me in the eyes. And I think, like, as well, see, obviously, David Norris has to be mentioned. Uh, He really, and I think it was brilliant that he got to, obviously, he's still alive just before I launch into this, but that he got to live to see the like marriage referendum actually like all the campaigning that he did come to fruition that just must have been I can't even imagine how he felt it was his not his life's work but a huge part of his life he's obviously a a lecturer in Trinity and a senator for Trinity Mm -hmm. like that's a that's just uh, amazing to see that happen within his life I'm sure and I know we touched on it like when we were like just chatting ourselves before uh, we started recording about how devastating the AIDS pandemic was for Ireland. Another part that's not really talked about too much. It's a reason why Pride stopped um, from in the 70s until 1983 to kind of start again, obviously in devastating circumstances. It was because so many people were lost. And like Manus, you said this before we started, then the people who were... Um, queer didn't feel like they could come forward because of the stigma attached yeah, yeah, to it and sure. it's just so awful yeah like I can just imagine like a lot of like obviously a lot of people died during the AIDS crisis the, 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 the pride parades stopped people stopped marching or whatever and then when it when like the crisis like ended or yeah ended 
there was there was definitely people there that were just like I can't be out and proud because everyone's going to think I have this deadly disease because mm-hmm. the ignorance of like people back then like and of the, the actual disease in general you know and like even we were like I know we've said so many times under the Catholic Church obviously had such an influence on the politics in Ireland at the time that there was limited to no messaging about it no medical guidance was given about it and I just think that what the kind of older people in the queer community that are still like thankfully here today and have you know done so much to get a community here today like David Norris to see you know going from being literally criminalized to basically be allowed die because I think we've seen you know with COVID how how government can (laughs) tackle epidemic if they want to pandemic sorry if they want to and then you know to see it come around that there is actually legislation enshrined uh, making sure that they can marry the people that they love uh that's like must be amazing for them yeah it must be like as you said like it, it was like effectively his life's work like amongst other things so like to see that happen in his lifetime emotional emotional thinking about uh, it um, um, i was like are we gonna cry <laughs> <laughs> and there are like a few other notable i think even worldwide i think for me, like we talked about her, Amy, a few weeks ago for International Women's Day was the state senator was Senator Sarah McBride of the Delaware State Senate. She's the first first openly transgender state senator. And then you have Dr. Rachel Levine, who's the first ever assistant health secretary, openly transgender woman. So that was amazing to see that as well. And so we are seeing more representation. And even we've seen even, you know, Petra D'Souza of Belgium. over a be- exact. Yes, she She's a transgender woman and she served, uh, she was named as one of the seven deputy prime ministers in a new coalition government. And, you know, she was part of the European Parliament in 2019. She chaired the European Parliament group on LGBTQ plus rights and co-chaired the MEPs against can- cancer groups. So again, there's another prominent transgender woman who's entered the realm of politics, which is great to see that representation. And obviously, you know, using that to help to help others and kind of uplift that platform as well. Do, do you guys remember is there any would you have a memory of like the first politician or political figure that you recognized as being part of the lgbtqia plus community mine was david norris mine would be david norris <laughs> yeah. as well to be honest it, it's yeah. the only one i can think of yeah and i would yeah. say colin mcgorman but he's not a politician i know he's an advocate but and he works with amnesty international but when i think of you know they would be my first two I suppose like marriage equality was the first time I was really exposed to it mm-hmm. and it was yeah. David Norris and Colin O'Gorman who I saw really kind of trailblazing um but I suppose mm. maybe because human rights is kind of enshrined in politics in some ways why I would associate Colin O'Gorman but yeah no yeah definitely those two I would say I don't know I, I've I think I've alluded to this well not alluded outright said it a number of times in this conversation but I think that like we're obviously we've come so far which is amazing particularly in Ireland like from Italian 90 you know all the way to here now how much we've come in such a short space of time but there is still so far to go because even like when we're talking about it here so often I am like it's white cis gay men that are constantly the prominent figures you know by 
people are not, you know, that's not really featured. And I think people are very much aware of like the biphobia, especially in the recent years that has become quite prominent. Um, you know, uh, trans people are not featured as much as they should, and especially gender non-binary people are not and featured. And like, I, I, I hope that that is a space that becomes more open for people like that in politics. For sure. But even like, like lesbian women aren't featured as frequently as a gay man, as an example, which is, it's bizarre, to be honest. But as you said, yeah, I hope like as as time rolls on, like the representation grows for these different minorities. There actually is though, over the past few days, there is Owen Hercombe is Wales first openly non-binary mayor. And he was chosen by the councillors on Bangor City Council. I can't pronounce the last name because I'm go. I don't know Welsh, but I thought that's the the first non-binary person I've seen nominated, nominated, excuse me, elected to a sitting office. So congratulations oh, to, to them! Congratulations to them! That's amazing. Congrats. That's the first I've heard as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, that's one case that we've heard. There's still not enough. Yeah, um, yeah but sure. well, like yeah, and like there still is. Like Ireland still has issues with regard to, and it's kind of like. It's shocking that it still is, but you know, the issues of conversion therapy, which was kind of like we saw in the north in Northern Ireland, that was kind of like the footfall that kind of, you know, when they when when they went to go vote on it in Stormont, that's kind of like how Arlene Foster ended because the DUP are an incredibly socially conservative party and they have outright said that they are. But I suppose good news today is that the children's minister, Roger Gorman, is seeking to ban conversion therapy and he is meeting, you know, a cross-party alliance with Sinn Féin because, you know, it was Senator Fintan Warfield. He he brought, uh, he's a Sinn Féin senator. He initially addressed this issue of banning conversion therapy in Ireland. So it's great to see that the minister is coming together, uh, especially with a cross-party because it's not a political, again, this, this it's not a right. political issue. It's, it's not, exactly. And the fact that like, you know, there are more LGBTQ+, plus, well, especially, I suppose, in the doll anyway there are more particularly gay men because you know jerry bushimer who's a senator is fina gale senator he's also an openly gay man as well roger Gorman, leo varadkar so obviously finton warfield so it's great to see that you know it's finally come together and doing well obviously it's roderick uh, minister O'Gorman and senator warfield are doing this but it's, hopefully this will bring cross-party alliance as well it'd be very hard to see this not push through both houses of the Oireachtas. but it's great to see now that the minister is hoping to you know ban this now and it won't be it'll be a, a history it'll be part of our messy history but i won't be part of any more yeah. present no and it is it's like that's so good to see but um i think it, it, it is so important that it is like you were saying there neve uh, it's a human right issue it's not a political issue because when people's per like just their existence is politicized that's just so wrong and it can be like hungry in just um i'm sure people are aware of it it's been in the news that they have introduced um a couple of anti lgbtqia plus laws and with their conservative government and with minister victor urban he is just ramping up we i ramping up efforts i know we've kind of touched on minister urban before um, he's basically ramping up efforts to kind of discriminate against the LGBTQIA plus community there um, with a law that just came in there banning um, basically a, anyone under the 18 is being banned and from being shown any films or ads that would encourage 
what to quote to quote him gender change or homosexuality so it basically bans the representation of any sexual orientation other than heterosexual and any gender expression other than heteronormative horrific disgusting that is it, it just goes to show his lack of understanding of all these things you know mm-hmm. But can I ask then, like, Manus is the last question. Are you, like, more hopeful then each pride that we come along? Like, do you feel the world is becoming more tolerant? Ireland is much more tolerant, like, that we're becoming a better, more accepting, I hope, country and society anyway? I, I do hope so. Like, it, it does feel like that. But, like, it, it's re- it's really interesting as of late seeing, like, different people of the community, like, tweeting, saying that they're, like, obviously now the country is starting to open up, so outdoor outdoor summer is a thing and a lot of them are actually commenting on like the homophobic like slandering and slurs they're getting from members of the public like it's pride month so it's like oh god this during pride month but in reality this at all is horrific but yeah it, like some people have they've been ganged up on they've been like <laughs> called some on on pair names uh, that's just truly horrific and the fact that it's happening, it's still happening is just unacceptable. And hopefully with more like, you know, what we were saying earlier with the introduction of, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus education into schools from a primary level will be, you know, yeah. if that ever comes to, if that ever comes through to legislation here in Ireland, that would be incredibly needed and helpful as well to the community. And hopefully that people become more tolerant and that, you know, people can just live their life as they intend to and yeah. you know, just be themselves who they are authentically that is in no way harming anyone which is what Preach. I mean it is ultimately just ignorance at the end of the day so I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of it can be like rooted out with proper education yeah like at, at the fundamentals like early on mm-hmm. yeah totally agree well, guys, that's all for this week's episode of the Poly Station podcast. So if you want to get in touch with us about um, what your favourite moments of Pride are, do you, did we miss out on any politicians or activists who you thought we could mention or we can highlight? Do get in touch, let us know. Uh, we can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Polling Pod. And don't forget to check us out every week for new episodes. Mm-hmm. And we want to say a big thank you to Manus Gallagher as well for joining us this week. Fabulous Thank guests. you so much for having me. That was a lot of fun, this guys. Is- a Manistan podcast <laughs> what it is and everybody if you're whether you're a part of the queer community or you're an ally enjoy pride remember everybody who got us to this point all the people we talked about today and all the people who aren't in history because history is written by white pale cisgender men and we'll never know all the amazing contributions of everybody else to it so just remember all them have a great time Whoa.